question I want to ask tonight is this, this weekend. How does God change us? Now, again, I'm speaking to believers. I'm speaking to people who say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Because until Jesus becomes part of your life, until His Spirit dwells within you, change isn't going to really take place. I mean, moralism can take place. You can try to be a better person. You can try to do your very best. But unless you have the power of God within you, you're really not going to get much traction. The question, though, I want to ask is, as a follower of Christ, how does He change you? That's what our passage this weekend is going to... But see, here's the thing. For many people, growth in the Christian life is a mystery. We don't really often understand it. Some of us are looking for a quick fix. We want um, a shortcut to change. Like, uh, is there a weekend conference? Is there a book? Is there a four-week discipleship program? And, And I may not be there all four weeks, right? Is there a support group? Is there some shortcut to spiritual growth? And, of course, you probably know I'm going to say, no, there isn't. Now, all those things are good, and all those things can be helpful in the big picture, but really, they're all good ways. But Paul's going to show us that it takes time. Change takes time. Now, for those of you who are stargazers, and I think I have this right, the next solar eclipse is, I think, this Friday. Now, a solar eclipse is just where the path of the moon uh, blocks the sun. And um, the last full solar eclipse was in 1999. 1999. And now you think about it. When you're watching an eclipse, and by the way, when I was in, you know, when I was in grade school, I think we had something like that, but in 1999, I don't remember where I was, but they always told you, don't look directly at it. You had to have some kind of a thing on paper, and you watched it. And you can almost see the movement, couldn't you? You can almost see the moon kind of moving along, and but you really couldn't see it. Now, you think about that, you say, well, it took a lot, you know, I mean, it was, it was almost imperceptual, the, the change, where you, you, you could almost, you could just barely see it. Now think about that for a minute. The speed of the moon around the earth is 2,288 miles an hour. That's pretty quick, right? The speed of the sun, or excuse me, the speed of the earth around the sun is 70,000 miles an hour. That's pretty fast. But when we look at it from a distance, it looks like they're barely moving, right? It's just like so slow. The point is change is taking place. You just can't see it. You can measure it, but you just can't see it. I found the same is true for physical maturity. Have you noticed that with your kids? We have one doorpost in our house that has marks all over it by the kitchen, and it has a mark and then one of the boys' names next to it. And it's fun to compare the different boys at the same age, compare where they are, and then there's, they all, so it's marked all up, right? Carol's there and hers just stays the same all the time. So does mine, but Carol's not here to pick, so I can pick on her. 
But you don't notice the growth. Even with your own children, you don't really notice the growth. What do you notice? You notice the growth of other people's kids, right? Especially like relatives. Like, so you don't notice the growth. But then when you go like at Christmas and you see somebody that you haven't seen for six months and it was little Johnny, now little Johnny's like right here and you go, whoa, Johnny has grown. Now you didn't, you could. If you had spent every day with Johnny, you wouldn't have noticed it. Maybe if you marked it on a post and Johnny's like growing an inch a day, you might notice it, but you really don't see it. Emotional maturity. That's another one. You know what I figured out a while ago? That just because somebody grows up physically, that doesn't mean they grow up emotionally. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that there are adults out there that have reached physical maturity, but they haven't quite grown very much in emotional maturity? Sometimes grown-up people can act like children. Have you noticed that? I've done it myself. Now, by the way, don't look at the person next to you. Too late, you already did, right? Spiritual maturity, that's the one we want to talk about. And that's actually even farther removed than physical maturity or even emotional maturity. Spiritual maturity is hard because here's the problem. None of us can see a person's heart. I can't see your heart. No one can. I don't know your motives. I mean, I don't even know why you're here tonight. Isn't that a great thing for a pastor to say during a message? Why are you even here tonight? But it goes to the heart. Why are you here, right? I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're here. He's thinking, if I just go to church on a lot uh, on a a regular basis, God will look at that and he'll say, wow, you should go to heaven. I don't know. Maybe you're saying that. Who knows why you're here? You may be here because you have to be. You may be here because you're trying to impress somebody. You know, I don't know why you're here. Paul is going to show us, though, that at any moment you can observe a person's spiritual maturity by their behavior. So that's the passage we're going to look at. It's um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, the chair Bible, page 893. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. And if you don't have a Bible, pull out something. I'd love you to look at something because the power is in the Word of God, the very words of God. Um, Jesus said, man will not live, man, woman, child, teen, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we believe this is to be God's word, so we want you to interact with that. So uh, Galatians 5, 16 uh, through 25, page 893. Let me pick up the passage. Paul is speaking and he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of what the sinful sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under, under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires, some of your Bibles may say lusts there. And I like desires better because lust gives the idea of sexual, and it's talking about much, much more than just that. Uh, 
when the desires of your sinful flesh, the results will be very clear. Here's, he's saying essentially when you give over to your, your sensual desires, when you give over to the desires of your sinful nature, here's what it looks like. Okay? In other words, he's saying at any moment, if you show any of these, if any of the things that I'm going to read in just a moment, if any of these show up, it's a good indication the Holy Spirit doesn't have control of you right at that moment. Okay? So here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, you might want to circle that, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So what are the signs of spiritual deadness? How do you know if Life isn't taking place within you. Spiritual life isn't taking place. How do you know that you're spiritually dead? Well, the Bible is, you know, Paul here is clearly speaking to believers. He's, he's not talking to pagans. He's basically saying that if you see this in your life at that moment, you are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. What are they? Sexual immorality. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Paul's essentially saying is when you see this happening in your life at that moment, you're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean if I have demonstrated this behavior, I'm not a Christian? There's three possible answers to that. Number one, if this behavior is the default of your life or has characterized your life for a very long time, you may need to question if you've ever come to Jesus. Basically, Paul basically says, if this characterizes your life, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And essentially what he's saying is you're not really showing that you're a follower of Christ if this is Regular behavior. This is behavior as usual. The sign, uh, the number one sign of a Christian is obedience to Christ. And none of these uh, have anything to do with obedience to Christ. Jesus said one time, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I've told you? In other words, Jesus is saying your behavior is betraying you. So, there's three possible answers. Number one, you may not be a believer if this is characterizing your life. This behavior is characterizing your life. Number two, if you have demonstrated this type of behavior from time to time, you may be a Christian, but you've never allowed the gospel to really sink deeply into your soul. You need to allow His Word to become a steady, regular part of your life. That's why we're encouraging you to read through the New Testament. 
The reading in the New Testament, if you're doing the, the reading through the New Testament on the plan that we gave you, if some of you are doing that, I hope many more than some are doing it. If you're doing that right now, you just read through some incredible passages of Scripture this last week. It's incredible. Thessalonians and Timothy, incredible passages of Scripture. But if you have moments like this that are kind of regular moments, you've got to say, well, where am I? Number three, if, if you've fallen into times of giving into sinful desires, but you are brought to your knees in repentance and you, you, you are broken over your behavior, you probably have the Holy Spirit within you. See, the Holy Spirit will not allow you to continue this type of life. It, just, it runs contrary to the gospel. So what are signs, we see these are signs of spiritual deadness, what are signs of spiritual life? Now, notice Paul says this, he lists the fruit singular of the Spirit. He doesn't say, here's the fruits of the Spirit, he says, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, either his grammar is bad or he's making a biblical theological point. Well, I choose number two because I think that Paul was superintended by the Holy Spirit as he penned these words. That The singular and plural makes a point. And Paul is essentially showing us that the fruit of the Spirit is like a diamond. You know, a diamond, many good diamonds will have many facets, right? You'll turn it and you'll look at it and it'll have... And that's essentially what he's saying is when you have the fruit of the Spirit, it's like you have this diamond. The fruit is like a diamond, but it has all these different facets. And you have all those facets at the same time. It's not, you know, seven different diamonds. It's one diamond with all these different facets. So in other, in other words, when you are filled or you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you will demonstrate all of these traits at the same time. That's what he's saying. Well, what are these facets? What are the fruit of the Spirit? He says this, the fruit of the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's just take a minute or two, and let me just run down through these so you can get an idea of what, what we mean by that. Because love is just this boundless word that we could spend a series on. Love is essentially this. It's serving someone rather than using them. Yeah, Isn't that what Jesus did for us when he loved us and gave his life for us? What did he get out of that? Nothing. He's God, right? Love is serving someone rather than using them. The opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. John says, love casts out all fear. So you, you can't possibly love another person without sacrificing yourself. And you can't really love when you, when you don't know. So you have to come to a place where you realize that you are loved completely. And when you know you're loved completely by Him, then you have a capacity to love others. Now, does that mean you can't love others? No, I'm just saying that it's much easier to love others when you have a, the overflowing love of the Father within you, right? So that's love. Serving someone rather than using them. Joy. Joy is you delight in God for who He is, not for what you can get from Him. You rejoice in the blesser, not the blessings. Some of you have a one-sided relationship with God. It's always, God, would you do this? God, would you give me this? God, would you do this? And your relationship is one-sided. Think about that as a parent or a friend. Some of you have kids or have friends that the only time they want you is when they, you can do something for them. That's a one-sided relationship. Real joy is when you delight in God for God. 
right? David said, my heart cries out for you. Not for what you can do for me, for you. Peace. The confidence and trust of knowing that God is in control of your life. That's the song we sang at the beginning, right? That God is in control, that I'm not, and that's okay, and I can trust Him with my life. That He really does have my best interests in, in, in mind, right? Peace. Knowing that God is in control. Patience. Forgiveness rather than judgment. Now that sounds strange. Patience is forgiveness rather than judgment. You say, well, how does that play out? Have you ever been behind somebody who drives exceedingly slow and you're in a hurry? And you, you are not patient. Why? And what goes through your mind? Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> what goes through your mind? You idiot! How can you drive this slow? If you don't know how to drive, why are you on the roads, right? What is that? That's judgment, right? You're judging their motives. You don't know what's going on in the car in front of you. You just know that they're blocking what you want to do. Kindness. Serving others out of a deep inner security that you're, you're not envious of others. You, 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 you don't serve to be noticed. You serve because you were served by Him. Kindness. Why can you show kindness to people who aren't going to reciprocate? And by the way, that may be your kids, it may be your husband, it may be your wife, it may be a friend. Why can you be kind to people who are not kind to you? Because He was kind to you. And it's a way to worship Him. You say, I will be kind to this person, even though they don't deserve it, because I didn't deserve your tender kindness in my life, right? Your mercy in my life. Goodness, honesty, and transparency. Being the same Monday the same on Monday as you are on Sunday or Saturday night, right? It means that you're transparent. It means that you're not two-faced. It means that you're not one person at one audience and another person in another. That's faithfulness. Or that's goodness. You're the same person when people are watching or not. Faithfulness is being wholehearted and dependable, making promises and keeping them. Do you have somebody in your life that you can count on? I mean, they, you can count on them no matter what. When they say they're going to be there, they're there. When they, tell, when they make a promise, they keep it. That's faithfulness. Gentleness. Gentleness is humility. You know, I love uh, one author I read said this. He says, it's, if, gentleness is not, you know, we think of gentleness as humility. <clears throat> and there's all sorts of ideas of false humility. It's getting up there and saying, oh, no, I'm not that good. I really think I am, but... I need to say this so you won't think that I, you know, that whole game. But gentleness is, is, I love this definition, not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not, think, it's not beating yourself down and saying, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a piece of garbage. I'm a dirt bag. I'm, I'm awful. No, that's not what it is. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others more. Self-control, it's choosing the important things over the urgent things. There's a lot, you know, and this is, by the way, the the women are starting to study on this, the best yes. And essentially the whole thrust of that book is, there's a lot of urgent things out there. And I feel like I'm like a ball in a pinball machine. I'm getting urgent, 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 urgent. But I'm not doing the important, the essential 
Self-control is saying no to some things and yes to the most important things. Well, how does this process take place? Well, verse 16 says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. It's not about you trying harder. So if you leave this place, don't go out and say, I guess I've got to work harder at this. Try harder. That's like saying, don't think of a blue elephant right now. What did you all think of? Right? You did. You thought of a blue elephant. Well, that's the point. You focus on what that won't work. Basically, you have to be led by the Holy Spirit, and He will guide you. And then you stop over-desiring things. You know, the word lust is used in verse 16 and verse 24, and it's really wanting something too much. You know, the word uh, is translated in some uh, translations, as I said before, it's translated lust. And I think the one that we have is better. I think desires is, better, is a better translation. See, here's our problem. Our problem is that we desire bad things. Most people don't wake up and say, oh, okay, what is the worst thing that I could desire today? Because that's what I really want to go for. No, we don't, we don't do that. The problem is that we desire too much or we over-desire good things too much. So we can take something good like work and say work is a good thing, but I can desire it too much. I can desire to, to make uh, a lot of money too much or I can desire to find my significance and purpose and meaning in work and I'll throw myself into it. I, I just have to have that. Or family. Family is a good thing, but I can over-desire family too much. And, and, you know, we have a lot of parents today that it's a new phenomenon, helicopter parents, right? And they want to be over their kids and protect them and watch their every move. And there's nothing wrong with loving your kids, but there's a point where you over-desire it. And you're saying, I need my kids to grow up and to affirm me and to prove that I'm a good parent and I did a better job than my parents because... I, you know, I just, I, I was raised in a bad home and I'm going to prove to myself that, that, that I can be a better parent. You know, that, that's just, it can become tiring, can it? Relationships is the same way. Accomplishments. Here's, here's how you know that you over-desire something. When it becomes overly important. When it, besides God, it becomes the most important. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's your focus. It's, 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 it, it actually becomes more important than God. Number three, what is the fuel of your over-desire? He says this in verse 19, you follow the desires of your sinful nature. Now, we all have within us a sinful nature, and it will lie to us. And if followed, it will lead us away from God. Paul tells us that we must deal decisively with this sinful nature, this old sinful nature. Well, how do we do this? How do we do that? And and, and essentially, there's two things that Paul gives us in this passage. And essentially, he says, this is how you grow. This is how God changes you. Two things. If you get nothing else from this message this weekend, please get these two things. The first one is this, that we need to crucify our old nature. Notice he says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them. Now, why does Paul use such a barbaric term like crucify? I mean, come on, it's like pretty gory and bloody and just ugly, you know. Why did he do that? I think what he's saying here is that when 
he wants us to take the things in our life that are really too important, that we over-desire, and look at them in light of the cross. You see, we need to see Jesus dying for us on the cross. We need to, we need to look at the cross, and when we look at the cross, it unmasks these, these over-desires, the works of the flesh for what they are, that they're really empty, that they, they can't deliver on what they promise, that they, they make great claims, but, but in light of the cross, they just fade. And they say, no, no, no. See, the North Star is really the cross. The cross brings us back to who we are. That we're fatally flawed sinners and hopeless and helpless. But we're so loved that the creator of the universe came to earth and gave his life for us. You see, when we take our lives and we put it in the lens of the cross, we crucify them in the lens of the cross, we find out we're horrible sinners, we're flawed, we're, we're failures, but we're loved. We're failures, but he died for us. We're loved so much that he gave his life for us, right? So that's the first one, is crucify them. In light of the cross. Secondly, keep in step with the Spirit. He says also in Galatians 5.25, one translation puts it, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I I love this picture of walking. You know, one step at a time, little by little. um, You may have a misstep, right? But there's a pattern, there's a path to follow. When we walk with somebody, we need to model their gait, you know, their pace. You know, sometimes I'm quite a bit taller than Carol. And when we walk together, I have to slow down a little bit or she has to speed up a little bit, but we have to match our gait. We have to walk at the same pace or we'll, one of us will be walking ahead of the other. And that happens sometimes. We need to sync with each other. We, and, and what I'm talking about here is that we need to, what Paul's saying is you need to sync and walk with the Holy Spirit, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, until you look back and you see the path of growth and change. That's how it happens, folks. You want to know the dirty secret? That's not a dirty secret. It's really a good secret. It's not shouldn't be even a secret. Paul told us what it is. If you want to know how to grow, walk in step with the Spirit. Crucify the sinful desires in light of the cross and walk and keep in step with the Spirit. It's a day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment thing. There's no shortcuts. There's no book to read. There's no seminar to take. There's no, there's no you know, weekend or week-long seminar. There's no uh, Bible study that you're going to get in that's going to turn the tide for you. It is going to be daily waking up, hour by hour choosing to walk in step and keep in step with the Spirit. And, and there's a couple things I want to say about growth. Growth is gradual. Um, like I said, you don't usually see it happen. Now, one of the cameras that uh, people outside, outdoors are using now are the GoPro cameras. And I know there's other ones, but GoPro really has the market. And there's this little camera, and you can do time-lapse photography with those things. And when you do time-lapse, it's kind of cool because they'll do it with a plant or they'll do it with a construction project or they'll do it with traffic or something. And all of a sudden, you'll see something that's not there, and then all of a sudden, they time-lapse it so it looks like it takes, you know, boom, there it is. But it really took hours or days or weeks or months, right? And essentially, that's really what it is. You can't see it, but you can measure it. So be patient. You generally don't see dramatic change. Fruit, it goes through seasons. My friend is a farmer out in, in New York, and he is... Uh, pigs, but he also has apple trees and pear trees. And, but the, 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 he doesn't have any apples on his trees right now. 
I know that for a fact. <laughs> he doesn't. And if he does, I have no idea how he did it. It's not going to happen. But he will in the fall. He'll have apples in the fall. He'll have buds in the spring, right? And if the deer don't eat the buds, he'll have, depending on whether he gets the right uh, amount of sunshine and rain and everything, he'll have apples. He'll have an apple crop. But that takes time, right? That takes time. And, and sometimes you go through seasons in life. Um, but the question is, are you, are you growing in love? Are you growing in joy? You know, the fruit of the Spirit, are you growing in those? And then growth is inevitable. Growth will take place if there is new life. Healthy things grow. Now, if you don't see growth, like I said, if you don't see growth, if you don't see change, if you have people next to you that love you, and, and they just see you're, kind of, you're the same person you were five years ago, and I really don't see any change in your character. There's virtually been no change. Then you really have to ask a hard question. You know, there are times that you'll go through dry spells, and you'll go through winter months, but essentially you should come to a place where you say, I'm a different person than I was last year. I'm more patient. I'm gentler. I have more joy. I'm kind. I'm loving people more. That, that ought to be characteristic. That You should see that growth. That doesn't mean you're not going to have down days or down periods. But essentially, the growth is a, a steady process. And then number three, growth is eternal or internal. Um, now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Is it intelligence? You know, some people in, in Christian churches say, a person, some of you are new, new Christians. You've just received Jesus as your Savior recently in the last year or two, and you feel like, absolute, like an absolute idiot. You don't know the Bible. And you think the most important thing is for you to get Bible IQ knowledge. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting Bible IQ and Bible knowledge, but that's... That's not fruit of the Spirit. Having Bible knowledge is okay, but that's not the same. And some people have said, well, they've been a Christian for 30 years. They know their Bible much better than I do. They're much more mature than me. Listen, folks, I've seen people who have been Christians for two years who are head and shoulders more mature than somebody who's been a Christian for 30 years. You can be very religious. You can show all the right outward signs of religion and not be born again. I found that people who are very religious don't really show the fruit of the Spirit. They're angry. They're judgmental. They're short. They, they have a hot temper. And, 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 and I go, you know, this is not feeling right. Now let me just throw down something that as I was going through it just shocked me this week. Jesus said this. He said, In the last day, many will come to me and they'll say, I cast out demons. I did this. I did this. And he will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. That is just... <laughs> if, that does, if that verse doesn't trouble you at all, that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, if that doesn't trouble you and bother you, it should. But here's what he's saying. He's essentially saying, you can be used in other people's lives to change them for the kingdom of God and still be lost. Huh? No, that's what he's saying. He's essentially saying you can help move people to God and still be lost. 
that should, you know. Real Christians change. It's slow. It's inter- internal. And, and, and it does take place. It's inevitable. It will take place. But here's the thing. Paul basically says, at any moment you can tell whether you're demonstrating the fruit of the flesh or you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You can tell at any moment. Because the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh are two different things. And he would say, as you look at your life and as you look at where your life is and where it's been and where it's going, you can really measure. You can really measure. But here's how you, here's how you get on a path of growth. You don't try to solve it in a book. You don't try to fix it on a weekend. You don't try to go to a seminar. Those are all good things, but that's not going to do it for you. You don't go around the bases and complete the bases. You don't attend all the classes that the church offers. That's not the way. You get up every day and you say, number one, you get your word, get the word of God, and you say, God, I want you to speak to me. In just a few minutes today, I want you to speak to me. Sometime during the day, you get into the word of God. And you say, God, help me to walk in step Keep in step with your spirit today. And if I've allowed some things in my life to, I'm over-desiring them, I'm wanting them too much, more than you, for my ultimate source of security and satisfaction and significance, I'm over-desiring them, I'm wanting them way too much. If I have that in my help me to see the cross and to bring my life into perspective. And help me to keep in step with the spirit today. And if I fail today, Father, remind me, show me immediately so that I can repent, get on my knees, and get back in step with you. And as you walk day by day, hour by hour, week by week, month by month with the Holy Spirit, you can't help but be changed. That's how God changes us. God changes you. Sometimes it's imperceptible. Sometimes we go through times of drought, a a, a winter season. But change will take place if you belong to Him. If you're not seeing that change, it may be because the Spirit of God isn't within you. And you've never come to a place of understanding you need Jesus. If you bowed down and called upon Jesus and your life is just not in sync, today's the day to look to the cross Today's the day to get back in step with the Spirit and begin the growth again. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And Father, this passage is so incredibly important. It's not hard to understand. And I think the problem most of us have is there's no quick fix There's no formula. It's daily, moment by moment, step by step, walking with your Spirit. And then when we get off track and we over-desire something or someone more than you, we have to look at it in light of the cross and get our perspective back. Help us to keep in step with your Spirit this week so that the people of hope will be known as people who demonstrate on a regular basis the fruit of the Spirit. It can only be explained 
not because they're trying harder, but because the Spirit of God is working within them. And the fruit just comes out, especially when they're squeezed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.